Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh, clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This week, guys, we have a very special episode for you uh, that I'm super excited to bring to you guys. Uh, we've got Dr. Kevin Chapman on from the, uh, he's a founder and director of the Kentucky Center of Anxiety and Related Disorders. Uh, and we're going to be talking all about uh, buck fever and performance anxiety that a lot of us have experienced uh, throughout the woods, especially while deer hunting. But uh, Dr. Chapman, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jacob. It's a pleasure to be on. Absolutely. Well, this is something, this was a discussion, a topic that was reached out to us or discussed with us uh, with another listener um, who really wanted to kind of get into some of the science behind, uh, you know, performance anxiety, uh, Dr. Chapman, which I know you have a lot of experience with. I know you work with a lot of different athletes in sports psychology. Um, and again, I think you'd be the absolute perfect person to have this conversation with. So maybe to kind of kick us off, can we talk a little bit about, you know, when it comes to like performance anxiety, what that kind of classifies as, and, and again, how maybe some hunters experience that specifically while hunting? Yeah, absolutely, Jacob. And to be honest, I, I don't think it's far-fetched whatsoever to apply performance anxiety to hunting because it makes perfect sense in many ways, right? And I know we'll get into buck fever and things, and it's it's specific to that as it relates to hunting. But performance anxiety is basically a type of social anxiety, if you will, in the sense that I'm anxious about the potential of messing up or a negative evaluation in light of a performance of some sort. And that's the irony about it, Jacob, is that performance can be a million different things, right? Like it could be like if I'm out hunting with some buddies, if it's, um, you know, shooting some free throws, if it's, I have a putt to sink and everybody's watching and there's a lot of money riding on it. Like it doesn't make any difference what the performance is. The bottom line is that it's the fear of negative evaluation about a specific performance that I'm having. And it gets real. It really does. And that's something maybe we can kind of talk about with your background, specifically with with athletes, of the whole idea of maybe like being able to keep together in practice, but something about that big game performance, how just something happens, wires are crossed, and not able to kind of keep it together in those situations because, you know, we've got friends and buddies and people that's been on the show before that have talked about that specifically with hunting where, you know, they may go to the range, shoot their bow or, you know, shoot their rifle and be perfectly fine, very consistent. Mm -hmm. But something about that moment when that buck steps out, it just – everything is lost they completely kind of fall apart yep. and, and really they end the season being extremely frustrated with themselves on their performance and again thought they had done everything right but at that moment of time when you had to, to execute the opportunity they weren't able to yep that's absolutely true and i think there's two things i'd say to that jacob first and foremost i think what the listeners need to know is that if you get hit with say buck fever or any type of performance anxiety keep in mind that the wills are emotion before you're even out hunting in other words, anxiety is about preparatory coping. It's a future-oriented emotion. So if I freeze in the midst of about to hit a buck, right, I think the key there is that I'm probably having thoughts in advance before I'm even in that moment, if that makes sense, Jacob. So it's really important to know that it's not going to spontaneously happen. You know what I'm saying? Like you're planning unintentionally to be anxious about what if the buck comes out. See, that's the type of thought that you got to find. It's like, what if? Like I get the prize one this time. What if? Like I can see it now, et cetera. And then my physiological arousal starts going before I'm even in the woods. You see what I'm saying? So I think you got to think about it that way. I think the second thing, too, that I think that can explain this is that a lot of times when people experience that when hunting, their attention shifts into their own arousal. In other words, when the buck comes out, if my attentional focus, like any kind of performance anxiety, if I'm focused on how fast my heart's beating, if I'm focused on my stomach, if I'm focused on how you know short-winded I am in that moment, that's going to prevent me from using the right mechanics to shoot. You see what I'm saying? So I think that's really important for the listeners as well, Jacobs, to understand how anxiety works 
It's just a matter of applying it to hunting in this case in that my attention shifts internally as opposed to the buck or the mechanics of shooting correctly. And this is an interesting conversation, especially when we start getting into, you know, some people have this issue mm-hmm. and some people have this issue of buck fever where others, it seems they may not. And a lot of times it seems like those are the most experienced hunters, yeah. of course, um, that have put themselves in so many you know situations and repetition that they just understand how to execute during all situations. Well, that's something that's a, it's a little bit more challenging, especially if you're a newer hunter or just someone that doesn't have all that experience. But one thing I've heard, and maybe get your take on this, especially when we're talking from you know a hunter's standpoint, but also maybe even in, in sports psychology is... It seems like I've had some people that have had tremendous success hunting, but all of a sudden something happens, a flip, uh, you know, a switch gets flipped on a certain deer, and then afterwards, for the next, you know, ever how many encounters, they they have this anxiety that they did not have previously. Um, Some people call it, especially in archery, target panic, where you might have been shooting your bow perfectly fine, but all of a sudden you draw your bow back, and you had just have this sensation, the second I come back, I have to hit the trigger. I have to let the bow yeah. down or let the arrow go. Um, and it just happens out of nowhere. And I've seen it happen with people when it comes to deer hunting as well, where they are totally fine up to a, certain, to a certain point, something happens. And then after that, they have completely fallen apart and they're trying to regain their composure uh, with each and every in, in, encounter afterwards. What could cause something like that or could have that switch flip, especially when maybe it wasn't as much of an issue earlier on? That's a good question, Jacob. And I think, though, I do have an answer for you. I think in many ways, most of the things we're describing right now, Jacob, are all about what we call learned associations. And I think that's a term somebody needs to tuck away because basically a learned association is that if I have a moment in time where I've been successful and then all of a sudden I experience, say, heightened anxiety or even the fear response, which is essentially a panic attack, or I have some uncomfortable feelings in my body in that moment when I'm drawing my bow back, I think the key is your, the way your brain works is that if I associate the mechanics of that with distress, that teaches my brain to remember and to recall that association. So the next time I'm in that same situation, despite how many times I've done it, my attention and memory goes back to the time. Oh, no. Remember when you felt blah, blah, blah. Remember the Jaws music started playing. Right. So you go back to that immediately. And all of a sudden that arousal in your body takes over. Now you have this self-fulfilling prophecy. Now I can't hunt all of a sudden. That is very good. So it's almost like uh, it's just subconsciously happening. It, it's yeah. like a learned response that you're not actually, you're not telling yourself whether or not to learn. It's just a biological thing that you, your brain and everything's you know related this feeling, this situation with a certain experience, and then it starts popping that back up every time you come into that situation. The question I would have is how does how do you somebody work through that and, and that's going to be like a big part of what we're talking about today is how to work through these situations and i know you work a lot with your athletes and spe- specifically on these you know conversations and topics but it's like how does someone kind of get through that and overcome it and, and kind of get back to a, a strong mental state when they're out in the field great question right in many ways jacob that's a million dollar question and i think that you know taking a step back i think it's important for everyone who's listening to know that for any sort of learned association the ingredients are the same That's good news, right? So if you think about somebody who develops in my clinical work, say a phobia, right? I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of water. I'm afraid of heights, right? Or an athlete that I'm working with who in golf, they, you know, are in baseball and different sports, they might say they have the yips, which is essentially the same thing we're talking about. It's a learned association, right? There's no biological condition called the yips. It's a learned association. Let's call it what it is, but fever that helps us understand what it is. But if you understand how anxiety works, then you have to recognize that all emotions, Jacob, that you have have three parts. I call that the triad of emotions. So somebody's needing to work through this. 
they need to initially understand that anxiety, just like fear, just like disgust, just like anger, just like frustration, always has the same three parts. Thoughts, what I'm saying to myself about hunting, physical sensations, the arousal I have when I'm in the hunting situation, and then my behavior, which for me and you in this situation is the hunting itself, right? The mechanics of it, knowing how to pull, you, you get it. So if I have the, if I understand that I'm all of a sudden developing, say, buck fever, then I have to take a step back and recognize, well, first of all, anxiety is the culprit. Anxiety in and of itself is helpful, though. It's not supposed to be harmful. But if I've learned to associate that arousal in my body, which, as you know, Jacob, in a hunting situation, it would be that if I have too much arousal, that's going to inhibit my mechanics from shooting correctly. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have to take a step back and say, first of all, thoughts. What have I learned to say to myself that's creating the arousal in my body that's preventing me from, you know, the right hunt? Right. So I can tell you now, Jacob, hypothetically, somebody's probably saying something like, you know, before they even go out, they're getting dressed. Their buddy's like, yeah, man, we're going to do it. We got this. Let's go. You go out. And all of a sudden I'm thinking before I'm even in a situation, even if I'm in a deer stand or where it might, what have you, I'm thinking to myself, oh, shoot. You know, what if I screw up again? Or what if I get out here and freeze again? See, what if is the common element in that situation? So that what if is about the future threat of screwing up again, right, Jacob? So that's getting the wheels in motion. So I have to identify what are my thoughts before I even get in the freaking car, right? That's so important is to recognize what are my thoughts before I even go out? So once I do that, then I have to come up with some counters to that that speak to evidence, right? Number one, something I like to tell people in this situation is anxiety is harmless. It's normal to be anxious about hunting, right? This too shall pass. My favorite, ride the wave. What goes up must come down. So if I say those sort of things to myself and listeners who are paying attention to this podcast, I'd say, Jacob, do not say things to yourself like, you got this, let's go. You could be lying to yourself. We need thoughts that are going to be true right? And realistic. So thoughts like um, anxiety is normal. This too shall pass. All of that's true, <laughs> right? I've done this a million times, right? Things like that. And then putting myself in that situation, right? That would decrease my arousal. Secondly, I think breathing skills are very important. So to make it, and we're all athletes here. So I think the thing I like to tell people, we like numbers when we play sports. I call it five, six breathing, inhaling through your nose for four to five seconds exhaling out your mouth slowly for six seconds. So doing that to a count of 10, basically. So inhale one, exhale, inhale, think two, exhale out your mouth, inhale, right? That's going to decrease your arousal. Why? Because your heart and your lungs are always in sync. So if my arousal goes down and I shift my, number three, my attention to the mechanics of shooting correctly versus how I'm feeling in my body, then you're going to learn a new association and your brain is going to remind you that you've done this a million times. So you got to identify thoughts and counter them. You have to regulate your arousal in your body through breathing. And you have to repeatedly put yourself in the situation and do not, do not, do not avoid it. But when you're in the situation, you got to shift your attention to the right cues outside of your body, which in this case is the deer, where you want to shoot, what your fingers are doing on the bow, what your release is, your mechanics. That's so important. You got to shift your attention away from what's happening internally. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And see, this is something I'm super excited to talk about um, just because, you know, I think everybody's kind of experienced this at some point. And one thing that's kind of happened with me, we, me and Andrew were talking about this on an episode of, probably from a couple of weeks ago by the time this comes out, of like the idea that some people will have like this sense of like, I mean, just laser focusedness when that anxiety level hits. Yes. And I've, and tell me if that's incorrect, but is that really how anxiety should work in that situation of like that, uh, the ultimate focus? That's really interesting, right, Jacob, because not to get too nerdy, the short answer is yes. So if you think about the fear response, which just for the listeners to understand, anxiety is a future threat, right? So it's preparing you for future coping. Fear is present danger, right? Fear and anxiety are not the same thing. So if somebody's having what we would consider panic symptoms, which, by the way, that's fear. Fear and panic are the exact same thing, right? Fear is a true alarm. Panic is a false alarm. So let's call this a false alarm. If I'm in a situation where I'm supposed to be focused on something, that's called tunnel vision. The irony is if I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience, it's the same thing as tunnel vision. It's just that I'm calling it depersonalization. In other words, it's almost like, you know, I'm trippy and it doesn't feel good. The bottom line is that, yes, you're supposed to have a laser focus and shift so that everything else is filtered out so that you can have the right shot. That's what happens in hostage situations. That's what happens when police officers are trying to save someone, right? They have that same tunnel vision. I've heard reports of people saying, I saw bullets come out of my gun, right? Because I was so focused on saving this person's life. It's insane. And that's exactly how our bodies are designed is to get us to have that tunnel vision when we're in that situation. Now, on the flip side, with the tunnel vision, I have also heard, and if, when Andrew, and again, Andrew's not here right now, he'll be joining us in a little bit, um, but Andrew would say this of, you know, sometimes that tunnel vision can get so tight that you almost kind of forget what just happened. It's mm-hmm. like you're mm-hmm. so focused. And I, I tell Andrew, I call it shark eyes. Yep. People's die. Like, I mean, you get in a state of mind, it seems like for me, this is not coming from a professional, um, but you get so laser focused, your body is just working through the motions. And afterwards, you're like, what just happened? Yep. I've seen it. Sometimes it was a good thing. And then other times, it's such a laser focus that you might not be paying attention to exactly what the deer's doing. Maybe the deer's walking, you're trying to get to stop, and you get so much worked up that you are so focused on it, you're just trying to execute the shot, and you don't really care what the deer's doing. Or maybe there's like a little bit of, you know, some grass or limbs or something in the way that you're not really not paying attention to because you're laser focused. What is your take on that, again, getting like so deep in the weeds when it comes to that, that focus level that maybe it could be a hindrance at that point? Well, I think to your point, it's a double-edged sword. If I'm paying attention to the right cues, that will lead to a successful hunt, right? If I'm paying attention to the wrong cues, I might be laser focused, but I'll be laser focused and wrong, (laughs) right? So in many ways, yes, you nailed it. That's why, Jacob, it's so important that when we think about buck fever and other types of performance anxiety in hunting situations, you got to remember that the cues you pay attention to are very important and the mechanics associated with shooting is also very important. So therefore I have to make sure that I'm paying attention to the right things and repetition, as you know, as a hunter is so important is you have to continue to have reps just like you would with any other sport. Yeah. And this is something that it's not, I don't feel like it's talked about enough, especially in the outdoor, uh, you could say an industry or whatever when it comes to the outdoor media is the repetition of putting yourself in position to actually execute that shot it's a foam animal like a foam target is not the same as a live animal you're about to try to shoot and harvest um and and that is something that I, i we try to you know explain on the show but also for people listening now is the whole idea of 
putting yourself in a position where you actually have to execute the shot. And what I mean is you're not going years and years and years not shooting a, a deer. Uh, again, some people are super happy with that because they're looking for a very specific buck. Um, but putting yourself in that position, especially archery uh, hunting or, if, again, if you're hunting with a firearm, that you understand the mechanics of what you're hunting with and how to handle those situations. Because that's yep. the difference I've heard from, you know, guys down here in the southeast where you have a absolute ton of tags. You know, you can get yep. three bucks a year in Alabama, a doe a day for the whole season, which is almost four months long. You can get, if, if you need the meat and you have family people that need the meat as well, you could have the repetition to really get very uh, dialed in with that, that, that uh, process. Yeah. Versus if you're in a state like Kentucky, you get one buck tag and a few doe tags. You don't have the repetition that you may have if you're in a super target-rich environment where you can have the opportunity to be able to you know, go through that process time and time again. Uh, and it's not you know a once-a-year thing because if you're waiting one year to execute and do your job, um, that's, that's a lot of pressure. Yep, that's very true. And I agree with you, Jacob. And I think that that's why... You know, the best you can do, of course, is to do what I call as many proxies as you can. In other words, like foam targets are better than no targets. I know you know that, but it's not moving around and whatnot and the size difference and things. So so the best you can do really is have as many reps as you can, which brings up another interesting point, Jacob. I think that this is where this is. I think you're going to like what I'm going to say, but I think that this is where the science of psychology can be really helpful to an outdoorsman is that. If you think about the power of imaginal exposure, as I call it, but basically having mental imagery and visualization, that is huge. Like the one cheat code for me to be able to perform a mechanic correctly if I'm not in front of the object is to visualize myself repeated, repeatedly, so to speak, like over and over and over. Your brain is actually creating neural pathways that when you see that in a situation where, say, you're doing the breathing and, you know, you're trying to relieve that anxiety and then you close your eyes briefly, your brain downloads the perfect shot program in that moment and your mechanics is rock solid. So the other way to do with that, if you don't have the situation where you can have as many reps as you would like, right? Like a lot of guys like in Alabama, for example, then if you're in Indiana, Kentucky and other places, it's like, well, uh, in Colorado, <laughs> but in other places you can say, well, wait a second, I can use mental imagery. So that when I am in that game day situation, my brain is teaching my body that I've done this a million times, quite literally. The, the neuroscience behind that is insane, bro. And I think that if other guys want to hear what I'm saying about that, I think having a, writing out a script of a perfect shot and the perfect condition so your brain can see it and sense it and smell it and everything is perfect. I mean, it's just like free throw shooting, just like anything. And I guess that kind of goes back to the whole aspect that, you know, even if you only have like that one tag, like say we have Kentucky or Indiana, you know, in mind that, you know, you have this one opportunity for this one buck that you're going to try to take throughout the season, any opportunity you have, we're just a deer. It could be a buck. It could be a doe going through that motion of drawing your bow back and understanding what the mechanics are going to be. Again, will make it a lot easier when you get to that point. Cause you've done it before. You just haven't pulled the trigger right then and there when you need to, but you've done everything up to that point where you feel extremely confident in handling that situation. The one thing I guess you can't really prepare for, uh, and this just happened to Andrew. That's why, you know, when Andrew joins us, he's going to have his take. He missed uh, the biggest buck he's ever seen in the state of Alabama. It was uh, close to 145, 150-inch nine-point on some public land that we were hunting. Uh, It's the best footage you've ever seen of someone missing. Shot at it four times, okay? So, 
But it's one of those things, I'll be honest, I was in that situation. I'd been watching the deer for so long, you know, five minutes as it's walking into us and filming it. I look over at him, and you know, this you could probably tell me, you know, how wrong this was, but I looked over at Andrew because I'm in a different tree, and I'm like, dude, this is the biggest deer you'll ever shoot. And I kind of met in Alabama, whatever, and it was, I don't know, kind of a joke, but it kind of wasn't a joke at the time. And he hadn't even seen the deer yet. So I unintentionally got him probably super aroused like he's probably afraid to go, what what is he talking about because actually i had headsets on and he was mic'd up and i could hear him talking like wait wh- wh- what and then when that deer finally came out he's like oh he was right and it's like it it, it was um it'll be interesting I, I'm, I'm interested actually i'll send you the footage uh when when that's done edited so you can kind of see he, he he missed the deer and it was one of those situations where i think if I hadn't told him anything and he just saw the deer, I think he could have probably executed it. But something about like me telling him something like that, and then he actually seeing the deer, it seemed like he got to the point where uh, I haven't seen him get that worked up ever for a deer. Which then again, it was an absolute large, deer. it was a huge deer. But the thing is, the next day we had the same situation. The next day, so he missed that buck. The next day we go back to the same spot. Another really nice deer comes in, and in the heat of the moment, you know, kind of getting into that tunnel vision. You know, we're hunting with firearms, but, you know, it's a decent, you know, shot, 120, 130 yards, kind of through some cover. And I'm like, stop the deer. He didn't stop the deer before, the day before, shot over its back. And again, it, it was a it was a terrible situation. The next day, I was like, hey, if you see a buck, let's stop him, you know, whistle at him, do something, you know, we're getting to stop so you can get a really nice shot. And you're not trying to, you know, you're already worked up, but you're trying to shoot a moving target, even if he's walking. And he thought he had did that the next day, but he didn't. He shot and missed the first time. And then with the second time, the buck stood still. He was able to shoot, execute the shot, and the deer went down. But in the heat of the moment, he was so laser-focused, he thought he had stopped the deer, and he hadn't. The deer was still walking. He never made a single noise. But in the heat of the moment, he thought, he was like, oh, I thought I stopped him. I'm like, no. Like, I'm filming the whole thing. There was no noise. You didn't do anything. And he was walking. And I've seen that happen before with myself, where in, in a situation like that, it's like you can't really prepare for, like, that biggest deer you've ever seen or whatever the case is, the biggest buck you'll, you'll ever shoot or have ever shot. But it seems like that is like that Super Bowl moment where like you, you it's I don't know how you kind of prepare for that specifically when you know that deer that's you know so much bigger than anything else you've ever seen steps out in front of you and you try to keep it together and execute that opportunity. Yeah, that's a great question, Jacob. Here's the money answer to that though, and this is literally what I preach to all the athletes I work with, and that is you have to prepare, you have to treat practice like competition, so the competition is just shooting. Every opportunity needs to be treated the same way. So in other words, the process of shooting is the issue here. So in other words, I have to approach any sort of hunt like it's the Super Bowl, if that makes sense, right? So if I start treating each situation differently, then that means my brain's going to make exceptions for how my mechanics are, right? How I'm going to deal with arousal. Like, see, that's what I'm saying. We got to have breathing in our repertoire regardless of you know, what sort of situation I find myself in. We have to have our thoughts on point regardless of what situation that I find myself in. So if I follow that mental routine, if you will, right, of hunting the same way, then those things won't happen. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home 
for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Now, it also, I'm also interested when it comes to, you know, handling these situations and, and again building that repetition where it's muscle memory. It kind of gets back to like any kind of sports. It's like the muscle memory like you do it so much it's like you're not subconsciously having to make any decisions. You're right. just kind of going through the flow of things. Is that just one of those things? Is that just something of just a, a intense amount of repetition that gets you to that point? Or is that also like a learned behavior as well? Same, both and, right? But where I like to bias people, though, Jacob, is that, uh, you know, because a lot of people, of course, talk about muscle memory, and muscle memory obviously is a result of repetition. But the irony is the way you enhance muscle memory better than anything else besides repetition is through imagery. Like if you do mental imagery and visualization, right, of you going out, you know where your sand is, you know the woods, you know the cover, you know where the – like you, if you know all those things, when you're putting yourself in that situation and teaching your brain in advance, the repetition of that, that creates perfect muscle memory. So I think that's a nugget for somebody, Jacob. I really do. I think that if you want to – really take your game to the next level. And so to speak, I think that I think mental imagery and visualization is some low hanging fruit for some people that are listening. I think if you start doing that, you're going to be out there just absolutely collapsing. <laughs> well, and that's, that's a funny thing. When you talk to, and we go to a bunch of different, you know, uh, hunting shows, and outdoor shows and, and know some extremely successful individuals, especially like live in the Midwest that kill, 
you know, just absolute huge deer every yep. single year. And those, a lot of those guys, some of them are younger than others. You know, some of them, they may be in their late 20s, and some guys might be all the way in their 60s. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, they've kind of figured out how to be able to handle themselves in that situation where it's just it's just another day at the office. I mean, that, that's the way to kind of handle it. And, right. again, it's hard, to, it's hard to tell that to somebody like down here in Alabama that's never seen a, a truly huge deer, at least relatively speaking, um, or mm-hmm. anywhere else in the southeast uh, specifically. Like, if, if you've never seen that deer, it, it's hard to imagine it. But it's also – getting so confident in your equipment specifically on how to understand and how to execute that opportunity. Because like you said, it comes down to the, the shot sequence, and that's coming down to more of the, the 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 scenario or opportunity with the shot, not so much with you you know, necessarily killing deer. Like If you can go through that shot sequence and get very proficient with it, it doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a doe. It doesn't matter if it's the biggest buck in the world as long as you're able to go through that confidently. Right. Exactly. Now, I want to get your take. You know, this kind of goes back to some buck fever, but also it's slightly separate. I don't know how familiar you are with the term, uh, the term target panic with archery, um, or a guy, you know, or a guy or, or man or woman, you know, they'll draw their bow back, and for whatever reason, they get this overwhelming anxiety, and thankfully I have not had this. So, again, I'm talking more so from people that I personally know that have had this issue, yeah. that when they draw back and they're looking through their peep sight, looking through, you know, on their bow, that the second that pin of that uh, of their sight touches the target, the deer, whatever, they're just like subconsciously like releasing the arrow. Um, and a lot of times it's it missed shots, it's in really bad shots, uh, like all kinds of stuff happens. And it's like they're doing it's it's happening so quickly that they're not they're subconsciously like firing that shot without actually telling themselves this is the shot I'm trying to take. And I've heard of people trying to deal with this, and you know just go through a bunch of repetitions of shooting their bow, shooting their bow, shooting their bow. And I've heard of people having issues with this that last for months, if not even potentially years where they're not able to overwhelm it versus others may have a a short bout of this for a week or two. And they're able to kind of work through it. What do you think can kind of cause that where this, for some reason they just get this overwhelming anxiety where maybe they didn't have it previously was specifically with their bow where again, they're, they're causing themselves to take very quick shots, really like not even, really trying to pick a spot they're just putting it on the target and shooting subconsciously yeah a couple things i'd say to that jacob um pretty straightforward so with that said let's keep in mind that some people are predisposed to experience more heightened anxiety than others so i mean i have to say that because you can take two different people in the same hunting situation one had the exact same negative experience. The other one had the same negative experience. One develops this chronic pattern of like freezing and the other one doesn't. Well, what explains that? Well, what explains that is there's predispositions to experiencing heightened levels of distress. Like, let's just be honest. And I guess if I talk to whoever that person might be, I'd identify pretty quickly that there are other areas in their life where they might do that too. So let me point that out. That's really important to, to tuck that away because that's not true for everybody. And that is, that's what explains why it's, true for some people and not others that's why it explains why some people who have a traumatic event have ptsd and some don't despite the same thing happening so number one i think some people are predisposed to have heightened anxiety i call that anxiety sensitivity right so there's that i think the second piece is keep in mind that one of the the flaws and if the person is predisposed to freezing which i'll also address keep in mind that the only thing they're really doing to try to fix it is repetition again Let's go back to what we said earlier. There's thoughts associated with that before I'm even doing that, right? There's arousal associated with that that I'm probably subconsciously paying attention to. And that's what's preventing me from having a successful shot with, right, with the bow in that case. You see what I mean? 
So, and the other thing I'll address just for the sake of understanding is that keep in mind that the fear response, there's three responses to fear. There's fight, right? There's flight. But keep in mind, you're describing the other one that most people don't talk about, and that's freeze. And freezing is adaptive in certain situations. If I'm in front of a mountain lion, you think I'm going to run, Jacob? No. You think I'm going to try to shoot it? Probably not a good idea either, depending on what I have. But with that being said, freezing is appropriate. So I think what's happening is that they're having the fear response, or in that case, panic, and I'm freezing in a situation where it's not adaptive. (laughs) You see what I mean? So it goes back to the same thing you and I talked about earlier, and that is understand the triad of emotion. I have thoughts, I have physical sensations, and I have behavior. Most people in that situation who are predisposed to freezing, that person's only doing the behavioral part. They got to do the other two. And maybe that's something kind of worth getting back to that with those three parts. Again, thoughts, physical sensation, and also behavior. Um, But also, it makes a really good – you made a really good point about the whole idea, and I hadn't thought about this, but – you know, some of those people that maybe are having issues with target panic or just overwhelming anxiety, because uh, that's the way it's been described to me is you're so anxious, you're like you can't let the bow back down. Like you have, if you're coming back, you have to let it go every single time. Um, and like, but how much anxiety is playing a factor for them in other parts of their life, and it's not just with them shooting their bow right. or even their rifle for for case or for, for sense as well. So that's that's a really good part I didn't think about. Which I guess if someone is that person which you know maybe they're uh they, they just do have more anxiety in their life for whatever reasons you know career family the whole nine yards is that one of those points that at that point maybe you should look at getting some kind of uh whether it's you know find somebody like yourself to kind of work with or something like that that it's, it's a little bit bigger of an issue than just you shooting your bow and maybe there's other things that are kind of causing it to have you know overwhelming anxiety at other points of your you know your life and your career Yeah, that's a good point. Like, if I think that if it's impairing their functioning, yes, I think working with a mental health professional should happen. If it's the case of like my athletes who don't have mental health concerns per se, but it's a performance concern, like what we're talking about, Jacob. Yeah, that's where somebody like me who's clinically and sports trained can really be helpful to help them in that one area. You know what I mean? It's just that I think I opened your eyes a bit, too, though, is that many people in my experience who say what you say, like, oh, by the way, I had this situation where I'm freezing. Well, let's talk about other areas of your life and what you find out. It's like, oh, yeah, when I was giving that presentation to the class. Oh, yeah, when I was, right? Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) And again, it's one of those, I guess, subconsciously learned responses in that case. You get put in it, you have this one reaction to it, and you're subconsciously, your body just learns, your brain learns, this is how we're going to act in these kind of heightened, you know, arousal states of, you know, we're just going to freeze or we're just going to pause and we're going to maybe get to the point where you're like locked up. And I've seen that happen with other people where they get so worked up in a situation, specifically hunting, that they freeze and they can't execute anything. Like they can't get the bow back. They can't, you know, get the gun up. They can't do anything uh, because it's that intense of a moment. And that's just how their, you know, their body's kind of gets been wired. Um, And again, that's, I feel, I personally, I feel terrible for people like that because I haven't, I haven't personally experienced that. uh, But it's one of those things that I can see that could cause somebody just to get out of hunting completely just Mm -hmm. because of that, that, that mental capacity not to be able to kind of overcome those situations yep. to make it where it's this is a terrible experience it's not fun anymore it's just it, it's not worth yep. the uh the hassle of going through these you know super stressful moments and me not be able to execute those opportunities well the, the reason i admire you jacob and andrew though is because you thought this topic and whoever the listener was who called in but you thought this topic was important enough to address it on this podcast and i, I have to give you all credit because what i hope your listeners are hearing 
is that if that's you and you love the sport, which I know they, if they listen to your podcast, they have to love the sport, there is help available. And it doesn't take a long time to fix it, but it does take work, right? It's very time limited to fix it. It's just a matter of knowing the right ingredients. And much of what you and I've talked about, Jacob, today are those ingredients. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it kind of goes back to, you know, you're talking about these three parts of you with the thoughts, the uh, physical sensations and the behavior. How much of the physical sensation is playing a factor? When we're talking about specifically like hunting in these cases with like buck fever, can you maybe describe like what would you classify as some of that physical sensation? Because we've talked about the behavior of the actual hunting itself, but a physical sensation, is that more of like a a visual uh, visualization of everything? Or like what would be your take on the, the physical side of everything? Yeah, good question. So if any emotion you have has three parts and one of which is the physical sensations, we're talking about what's happening internally, right? So heart racing heart pounding, sweating, breathing, which in the case of what we're talking about, Jacob, shortness of breath, stomach distress, which is really your digestion slowing down so you can shift your attention away from food to the target. Another conversation. But all that's really important. So we're talking about the physiological arousal in your body, which with any sort of athlete can be helpful or harmful. If it's too high, it's going to inhibit your mechanics, right? If it's too low, you might be too relaxed so that you can't really have the core, which is important, of course, in hunting is important in any most sports that if your core is not aroused enough, you're not going to have what it takes to have the right mechanics either. So you have to have a sweet spot with your arousal. Right, Jacob? So it's important that it's not too high, but it's not too low either. There's an optimal level that's necessary. So we're talking about literally what your heart's doing, what your breathing's like, what your stomach's doing perspiration and sweating, uh, tingling and numbness sensations, heat flushes in my body, cold flushes, like anxiety and fear symptoms, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And I get that's one of those things to me, I guess, is the most notable when it comes to like, you know, the motions and those three parts of the motions that like the, the physical sensation is probably what catches most people off guard. Like number yep. one, you know, happens to pretty much everybody, you know, increased heart rate. Again, so something funny about, and again, a lot of listeners have heard this, but with Andrew, with that deer, he had a lapel mic on, a uh, lab mic, so you can hear his heartbeat. When he didn't see the deer, yep. you can't hear it. When that deer pops out, you hear a very loud, I mean, heart rate intensified. So that's, everybody can relate with that. Everybody can relate with potentially even like getting sweaty hands or some kind of like, you know, perspiration in that case, in that sense. Um, and then, of course, increase, you know, breathing or, or, or breath rate. So that's, I think, for a lot of people is what's extremely overwhelming in that case, too, is, again, having those physical responses where it's like, how am I managing the physical responses and or keep myself nice and cool? And that kind of gets back to your breathing. And, again, that controlled, yeah. uh, let's see, um, I guess you, I think you five, six breathing. Yeah, the five, six breathing, and also like this, the breathing skills in general yep. to get yourself back into a state of mind where you're able to execute that opportunity. And I think, yeah, you nailed that, Jacob. And, and I want the listeners to understand, too, because you keep saying that they can resonate with like the, the heart racing, and the heart pounding. I want to be clear. Anxiety is an adaptive emotion. All of that is expected. Like my football coach in high school, not my college, but my high school coach used to always, and it stuck with me, Jacob. This is for somebody listening. But he always used to say before we ran out on the field, if you ain't hype, something ain't right. There is a very important point to that because it recognizes that if you're having anxiety about losing, good, because you need to have some distress attached to this potential negative outcome. And the anxiety is trying to tell you 
that you could lose or you could miss the shot. So it's trying to help you by getting you to pay attention to the right things so that you don't. So keep in mind that it's harmless. So I just want somebody who heard me say that to understand, do not say to yourself, you shouldn't be anxious. You shouldn't feel that way. That's called judging your emotions. Anxiety is normal with hunting. You know that, Jacob. You've said it. I think the key is not judging it and trying to push it away. The key is regulating it, not eliminating it. That's I like that. Regulating and not eliminating. Because I think so many people, myself, have thought about, like, well, how do you just eliminate it totally? But if you eliminate it totally, to me, that's almost the fact that, like, there, there's something wrong there. I mean, if you're if you're not right. having some kind of heightened sense of, of, of arousal in that case uh, and, and sense of awareness, Maybe you don't need to be hunting. Maybe you don't need to have a fire. Maybe you don't need to have a bow or anything like that because it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's a little bit too nonchalant for you, which yeah. is kind of strange when you're taking something's life. Um, yep. But but that's like with anything, like you said. Uh, you know, I, you hear fighters talk about it all the time that you know if you go went into a fight and they weren't anxious, that's normally when they get absolutely smoked because right. they weren't prepared in that case. Um, and it's like the same thing. It seems like with the hunting is like if you don't have that that awareness and that sense of uh, self awareness when it comes to how your body's reacting, but also that focus, I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I'm sure there's someone out there that deer, that hunts that has that personality, but I've never seen it. But I just cannot see how there would be any kind of advantage in that sense of uh, that sense of mindset where it's so blocked out. You have such a like a blocker on that you're not able to you know fine tune and really be super super aware of the situation at hand. Yep, 100%. And I think we're on the same page is that, granted, you can get to a place where, you know, you have a certain personality trait where you're just kind of chill, period. But it is human nature, right? Especially, like you said, taking the animal's life. It is human nature for you to have arousal, period, (laughs) in any situation that involves hunting. Like, that's just a fact, right? And that's biological, right? So it's not like something you're really conjuring up. I think the key is recognizing that process starts well before I'm even in this, in this tree, though. <laughs> and I think that I hope somebody understands that because the process is you got to stop that train from leaving the station and pre- prepare in advance mentally, just like you do mechanically and physically when you're, like, shooting targets. Yeah, because it seems like the, the worst, I guess the worst case of, uh, well, not really the worst. One, one of the things I've seen that's really gotten me the most, I would say, tore up or buck fever is mm-hmm. in the in the case where you're not expecting anything to really happen. Mm-hmm. You, you go into a situation, you go into a hunt like, oh, you know, whatever. Like, you know, I was late to the woods, something happened, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're probably not going to see anything. And that's when that deer shows up. You're like, oh, I wasn't mentally prepared for any of this, yep. let alone right. a shot opportunity. And that's when it seems like the, the case of like an over sense of, especially like the, the physical sensations, make it extremely stressful during that case because again you weren't mentally prepared that hey this is going to be the hunt and to me it seems like those those hunts when i go in like this is the time i'm going to kill the deer if he does show up that's when it's like the smoothest like i guess uh um motion of uh operation compared to like the times when again you go in you're like oh probably nothing's gonna happen and then he shows up that buck shows up and you're like oh my gosh and you're really trying to gather yourself up to execute that opportunity right exactly so i think You know, the take-home message, Jacob, I think you and I laid out already is prepare in advance for every hunting opportunity like they're all the same. Like, that's huge for somebody listening because if if you're really serious about it, right, and you want to avoid these pitfalls, I think the key is preparation in advance. I mean, that's why you break a huddle before you go to the line of scrimmage in football, right? It's like you're preparing. You call an audible if you see the defense, you change the play, right? It's kind of thinking about it 
the metaphor of like calling a play at the line of scrimmage, right? You got to break the huddle first, prepare, let's go. And then I'm ready, execute, boom, we scored. Yeah. And also the, the whole idea of, again, like with the execution, but also being able to just stay in a very, uh, well, stay in a, in a, a heightened sense of awareness of what's going on, but also yeah, like you have to good. be confident. You have to be confident with your yep. shooting. You have to be confident in your setup. You have to be confident in everything that you're doing so that when you're ready for that moment, you have confidence in everything that you've done up to that point. Um, right. with, with your setup, how you got to your stand, how you were able to practice with your archery equipment, practice with your rifle, whatever you're hunting with, and have that confidence, but also have the confidence every time you're going out, I have the confidence I'm going to hopefully be on an opportunity to be able to see or be able to get an opportunity at that buck or at that doe or at that deer, whatever I'm hunting. Um, yep. And I think the confidence is huge, and that's the one characteristic I see with all these very successful, especially like these big buck hunters, is they're mm-hmm. going in with the utmost confidence. They're going in that I've done everything right. I know exactly you know how I'm going to go about handling this situation, where I need to be, yep. how I need to t- handle this, and it's just executing versus like the you know the average guy like myself and some others where you know that confidence level you have it at certain times, but sometimes you just don't have it. And when you don't have the confidence, maybe in your setup or how you've done up to that point, and that deer shows up, that buck shows up. It's uh, it, it is a uh, a time of self awareness that may not be overly positive. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. In other words, there's an expectation difference between master hunters and those who aren't. Right? It's that I have the expectation that I'm going to get something good today because I've done all the right things and I'm prepared. Versus, what if I do get something? But what if I don't? See, that's a completely different mentality. It's like you almost needed like this totally dissolve the what if or the if questions or statements completely out of you know your, your mental capability and, and completely remove <laughs> yeah. that because that's a, that's a good point because everybody man you know you, I'm, I, you, I don't have to tell you because you of course probably deal with this every single day with clients but it's like you meet people in life that are always like the what if people oh, super interesting people like what if this what is that <laughs> well, I was, and it's like there, there's so much of that that they focus on it kind of hinders them on making any decisions 100 percent, bro you nailed it so a, a, a way to relate this for deer hunting i'll say this because it kind of hit me as well the what ifs is if you're walking into the woods especially if you're hunting public land you're hunting you know a lease or a hunting club or whatever property if you have your stand on your back and you're you're specifically going in to find a tree to hunt and hang hang and hunt that day you might sit there, and I've been guilty of it, for 45 minutes trying to figure out what tree do I get in <laughs> What if this? What if that? Yeah. And a lot of times it just comes down to, and this is what I've kind of done recently, I just have to get elevated, get a tree with some cover, and just be able to have opportunities where I can see and hopefully be able to shoot some little bit of a distance in that area and not overthink and overcomplicate that. Because if you do that, again, it's happened to me, it's happened to Andrew a whole bunch too, is you get so much of a, a what if question, like what if the deer comes from this way? What if the deer comes from that way? You don't make a decision. Next thing you know, you're climbing the tree, and the, the buck's already walking, and you bust them as you're trying to get up that tree, or daylight happens, or whatever. Uh, and I, that's a very common thing I see with a lot of people, and even a lot of our listeners, is you overthink those processes, and, and again, that have those what-if questions of how I need to set up or how I need to go about handling the situation, and you end up just shooting yourself in the foot by not making it, you know, a decision and executing on that decision. Yep, no pun intended. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Chapman, I know we're coming up on time for you. It, it, do you have any kind of final thoughts or, or any kind of thing you want to leave the listeners with when it comes to like overcoming some of these, uh, you know, yeah. some of these you call issues um, or these ang- high anxiety moments and how someone can really better themselves this off season to be, be better prepared for this coming deer season? 
Yeah, I'd say, let me kind of summarize. I think that, uh, first of all, I think something you resonated with, Jacob, let me kind of structure it a little bit. So remember that, number one, anxiety is normal. You're supposed to be experience a level of anxiety about hunting. So let's start there, number one. So don't judge your anxiety by saying you shouldn't feel that way. That's not true. Number two, recognize that anxiety has three parts. Again, the triad of emotions. Any emotion you have has thoughts, physical sensations in my body, and behavior. All three of those are what's happening if I'm struggling in a hunting situation. Number three, preparing in advance is key. It's important to do repetition to try to fix mechanics and things. And I'll just shoot it. Well, that's not working, obviously. The key is taking a step back and identifying what I just said. Number two, which is my thoughts about hunting, my physical sensations, and then my behavior. So recognizing that I need to practice and prepare in advance. And then the other thing I'd say is create a narrative in your brain of the perfect shot. The situation you're going to be hunting in, what the trees feel like, what the air smells like, what you're hearing, what nature sounds like, you know, what the buck looks like, how far you are, what the tree feels like when I'm in it, all of the sensations you can. And if you replay that in your mind, I actually would encourage you to record it and to hear yourself listening to it in present tense language over and over and over and over throughout the whole week, every day in preparation for hunting. And when you're in that tree What's going to happen is if you blink your eyes and your brain is going to fast forward that image of you having the perfect shot and your body is going to respond with muscle memory to it because in your mind's eye, you've hunted perfectly a million times. So that's what I would say to the listener. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Chapman, thank you again for joining us. This has been a, an excellent episode. Uh, unfortunately, Andrew wasn't able to join us. He's still in his meeting, but uh, hopefully this gives the listeners a really good idea of kind of this conversation, and maybe you know it's worth us you know re-looking at some of this conversation and looking at some other points of high anxiety moments mm-hmm. that hunters mm-hmm. experience in the woods and get you back on for a future episode. So, Dr. Chapman, I greatly appreciate you joining us. And, uh, of course, if anybody has any uh, specific questions, maybe they want to reach out to you or if any of our Kentucky listeners want to reach out to you, how would they go about finding you and, and learn a little bit more about your organization yeah absolutely i'll reach out i had a great time jacob i definitely will welcome the opportunity to come back this is fun so if you want to get in touch with me send me an email kevin at kycards that's k-y-c-a-r-d-s dot com is my easiest email you can find me on like instagram dr kevin chapman and i'm on social media but you can send me an email kevin at kycards.com or kycards.com is the website perfect dr chapman thank you again for joining us listeners if you've enjoyed this episode please share it with some friends and buddies and we'll have to catch you back here on this friday's breakdown of the southern outdoorsman podcast where we break down this episode and dive into more details especially with andrew and get andrew's take on this episode so thanks everybody for joining us and we'll catch you back here for the next episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you. Whatever the 
case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsmen podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.